Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is sponsored by Happy Fox Health, a natural supplement brand focused on CMOS, a marine algae that has 92 out of 102 essential nutrients that your body needs to thrive and regenerate. I've used a number of their products and found it's really given me clarity of mind. Visit happyfoxhealth.com and use promo code THECRAFT for an exclusive 15-20% to 20% discount off your first product purchase. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Craig Stangetta is a fascinating human. Warm-hearted, eclectic, and undeniably talented. The designer and founder of award-winning, multidisciplinary St. Marie Studio, he's had a major hand in many of the beautiful, thought-provoking restaurants and spaces in Vancouver and beyond. He was born in Sault Ste. Marie, an industrial town in Ontario with a large Italian population. His father was Italian, his mother French-Scottish. Hospitality has been in his blood since he was born. One of the oldest hotels in the city had been owned by his family for several generations. Craig was athletic, but also drawn to theater, and was deeply involved growing up, nurturing his love for world-building. After a stint as an actor, landing a role in what was supposed to be a dream job, he found himself turning to design again, convincing his friends to let him create their spaces. Bao Bay Restaurant was his first project, and St. Marie's Studio was founded shortly after in 2013. In this conversation, we explore his childhood and how his passion for design showed up even back then, his chapter as a television actor, and what he realized about this dream, how he brings in hidden elements of surprise and delight to the spaces his studio designs, the way people experience spaces post-pandemic, and shifting design approaches as a result, balancing creativity, excellence, scalability, and culture at St. Marie's Studio, and much more. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with the endlessly interesting Craig Stangetta. Craig Stangetta, welcome to The Craft. Howdy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great to have you in here. I think I was telling you in our, our pre-chat a few weeks ago that you were on my original list like three years ago when I was dreaming this up. So it's awesome that you're here. We got connected because I organically met your COO, Lindsay Butters, mm-hmm. through my friend and former podcast, Caroline Boquist, who I think you probably also know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, thank you for your time. I'm, yeah, my I'm excited. pleasure. Yeah. I'm excited for this. A lot has happened in three years. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, a lot. So let's let's dive into it. But let's go way back. Let's go to Sault Ste. Marie. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Yes. Yeah, I was just, I was actually just back there for the first time in about 11 years. Oh, how was it? It was uh it was 
you know, I mean, okay. <clears throat> I always sort of put it in this context. It's, it's a remarkable uh, place sort of geographically and from a um, historical and cultural sense, it's, it's really, really cool, but it's also one of those kind of uh, smaller towns, you know, not, not too small, sort of an in, in industry town, uh, steel-based town. And, uh, they haven't, you know, done terribly well over the better part of 10 years. I think the last, you know, little COVID blip has sort of favored places like that. So there seems to be some, you know, young people flowing back into the cities like that and starting to help kind of re- uh, engage them in a way, <clears throat> but it was, it was, uh, it was one of those typical kind of trips where it's kind of like, uh, the movie gross point blank, you know, you run into a whole bunch of, uh, creatures from the past. <laughs> uh, some of them you're kind of happy to see. And some of them you're kind of, uh, you, you try to like, uh, run <laughs> in the opposite direction. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm a big kind of, uh, I guess, nostalgia junkie and, um, you know, sort of always been like that. So it was, it was kind of a treat to travel back there and, and bring my uh, wife and uh, daughter um, and, you know, Tristan, my partner, she's, she's been there before um, and, and we had our daughter there, but, but my daughter would have just been born. So she had no recollection. And so, so we spent a lot of time just sort of touring the old haunts and showing them, uh, the spot. And, and my kid got a real kick out of <laughs> seeing, you know, where I grew up and where I did, you know, theater camp and, uh, when I was in, in high school and, and, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, just kind of, it's it's striking, like it's a beautiful uh, natural backdrop, you know, it's right on Lake Superior, which mm. is kind of like, a, it's a lake, but it's kind of like the scale of an ocean. Um, yeah. So it's really, it's pretty remarkable. And so it's cool to, to show them that. Oh, that's fun. Mm -hmm. And you are, your dad is Italian and mm -hmm. your mom is Scottish and you really kind of like yeah. grew up in this Italian type household. Yeah, yeah, like my well, my, my mom's side is kind of like a mix of of everything, um, you know, typical Canadian kind of French Canadian, Scottish, uh, and and sort of um, kind of mosaic. And then on my my dad's side is is all Italian, and and the thing in Sault Ste. Marie is it's like a it's a big Italian immigrant um, city, and there was a real flood of uh, of um, folks from Italy, particularly the South, um, that ended up in Sault Ste. Marie when the steel plant was being opened there. And so there's just a, this kind of ad hoc little Italy there. And all of those, you know, traditions, um, particularly around food, have really embedded themselves in, in, that, in that town. And uh, so everyone will have like a big backyard garden. You know, we'd grow up you know, making salami and stuff in people's <laughs> basement. <clears throat> and then every, you know, every restaurant's like uh, an Italian restaurant. And, and, and there's, you know, like there people trade, uh, you know, one pizza recipe all over the town, sorry. And uh, so <clears throat> that's still kind of alive and, and well there, turns out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was a big part of uh, um, us growing up. We were sort of really... 
into that. And obviously I've stayed connected to that. And it's one of the big reasons why I wanted to, um, well, sort of wanted to, and I guess had any confidence of doing our own uh, restaurant in, in, and obviously like leaning into the kind of Italian cuisine side of things. I, I felt compelled and, yeah, you know, it was like natural. It was like yeah. part of your growing up, kind of part of your blood. And yeah. your parents also had one of the oldest hotels. There, my yeah? my grandfather, um, we owned this hotel called the Algonquin Hotel on, on my dad's side of the family. It was run by my grandfather. But when I was born, it had passed to my uncle, who's my dad's twin. And my dad had no... He had no interest in continuing in the in the hotel hospitality business. He he was he went and had a more kind of he was an insurance guy, a nice stable kind of job. Whereas my my uncle took it over, and so yeah, we uh, we owned that up until maybe five six years ago in our in our family, and it was the oldest hotel in the city, and this kind of one of those grand kind of you know old dame kind of uh, hotels, and uh, that would be where we had all of our you know, family Christmases and, and yeah. stuff like that. So, so we grew up in the, I sort of come by the hospitality stuff. Honestly, we were as kids, you know, we'd go there and, you know, have to clean the rooms sometimes sweep the floors. That was my brother's, you know, <laughs> summer job. And, uh, we were always sort of in that, you know, world of restaurants and, and mm. hotels and my family. And we have some, uh, my my dad's side of the family in in Michigan as well that are in the restaurant business and in our um <clears throat> in our hometown in um in Italy in the Marche our our family has some some restaurants and pizzerias and stuff like that so it's it's in our it's in our uh yeah it's in it's your in DNA our, it's in our DNA yeah. yeah and what was your what's your dad like what's your mom like <laughs> uh you know oh man I'm trying to think <laughs> how to how to best describe I, I'm just like sitting here thinking if like any of my friends that know my dad are listening to this they're probably really curious about how I'm gonna answer this question my dad's a real character he's a he's a uh, uh, he he's he's kind of like a f super you know it's like I'm trying to think take like take like Donald Trump and mix him with uh uh, Chevy Chase meets <laughs> Joe Pesci. <laughs> that is an interesting he, mix. <laughs> he's a he's a full on uh, character. He's a, and he was an insurance sales guy, and uh, he's a she's a he's got a lot to say. He's a talker, and um, uh, he'll, he's a, got a big personality. And uh, and my mom's kind of the opposite. She's kind of uh, very warm and friendly, and um, uh, very like, she's a, a very nurturing kind of person. And, uh, and, and my dad has that, that side as well, but he's, it's much less on his sleeve, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, and my dad, like, it's a very interesting thing. My dad's kind of, he's a twin. And so he's, but he's six two and his, uh, identical twin brother is about, five five or something like that, How so did that it's like twins like <laughs> yeah, that movie twins exactly. with devito <laughs> yeah short yeah and and these guys have these crazy stories so this was the other thing there's a little part in sault Ste. marie that's called jamestown and it was the little italian enclave there that 
almost was kind of like people were like, hey, this is our little kind of little Italy pocket in this tiny northern Ontario town. You wouldn't think that that would exist, but it was kind of like the center ice for the Italian community there um, as they grew up in the 50s. And it had little, you know, an Italian grocer and this, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, this sort of famous uh, Italian um, furniture place there and little markets and gardens and stuff like that. And, and, and uh, so it sounds like all, all cool and idyllic. <laughs> and, but my dad and his brothers have these crazy stories about, about Jamestown and how it was kind of like this, you know, uh, West side story, <laughs> kind of <laughs> like uh, these little pockets of like packs gangs. of gangs <laughs> You know that would that would fight each other on their on their bikes and 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 it sounds all quaint and funny until he's like, oh yeah, I got my I got my gut slashed open uh, by uh, having a machete fight in Jamestown. And, oh my god! And, and so we're like we're like whoa! It's like it's kind of like that scene in you know that movie Anchorman where we're like yeah oh they, they all of a sudden, you know, they all show up yeah and, and like... it seems all like oh this is uh it's a comedy this is all light and the next thing you know. There's a guy throwing a trident uh, through <laughs> someone's back. And so that's sort of what me and my brothers always make fun of them. We're like, Dad, what kind of like uh, greaser gang were you uh, a part of back in Jamestown? And he's like, well, the the gang, I can't remember the name. But they have all these funny names for them, too, you know, like. So he, he's got a lot of stories like that. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. That's so great. And you grew up um, enjoying theater, too. Yeah, like, uh, I didn't, we're, you know, again, so we're in this sort of steel town, very sports-centric city. I played a lot of sports, but I sort of gravitated to the arts um, as I sort of got into high school. And um, when I look back at it, I'm kind of like, oh, I <clears throat> maybe I would have sort of found my, my path into this stuff, uh, the design world, earlier. But it didn't seem like that existed Uh and um, and sort of my outlet ended up being um, in the in the theater, and there was this neat little um, kind of accomplished little uh, you know bubble of cool theater people there, and and there was you know quite a few people. It was one of those things where quite a few people from Sault Ste. Marie would be like, "Hey, we're in the NHL," and then there was this other weird little pocket where they would become quite good um in the entertainment world or in in the world of of theater and and I think it was folks that had you know studied that in in Toronto and had you know sort of decamped to a smaller place and and sort of mm. brought that with them at least that was our experience and and um I started to take all those classes and I was like oh this is like maybe the thing for for me and uh, I really um I got really serious about it like pretty early when I was like 15 or something. And, and, um, and, uh, we would go to this kind of, uh, it was a sort of this summer camp for theater. And, and, and there was a guy who, his name was Steve Ballantyne and, and, um, he was, uh, sort of our, our mentor in that regard. And he was a trained, you know, classically trained actor that had become a director and he had, he'd cut his teeth in Toronto and so he'd come here to uh, sort of, you know, lead a, a quieter life. I think he had uh, 
settled in over here, but he would still bring all these like great uh, contacts from around to teach and coach at this camp. And, and me and my best friend, when we were 15, 16, 17, maybe 16, 17, 18 or so, we would go out there and be the camp counselors and we would put on a, a play like Shakespeare and there would be all these interesting coaches and teachers there that would come from you know Toronto or Montreal and and stuff like that so it was quite we took it very seriously yeah and uh it was yeah I thought I was you know like you know whatever John Gilgood as a (laughs) 16 year old or whatever doing all these these Shakespeare plays was really hard to uh you know the language the language is is um obviously complicated and layered and mm-hmm. and 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 has a a sort of uh cadence and a rhythm and everything that that uh is is challenging <clears throat> but we spent three summers immersed in it and uh and in looking back on on it I'm kind of like I think I loved the the literature side and the history side and the and this kind of world building we would build all the sets out there um, and, uh, and I think that's a big part of what I was really drawn to was, was this being immersed in something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that when I un- sort of unpack it now with, with, uh, a bit of hindsight, I, th- I think that ends up, you know, being what really drew me to it. I mean, I, I found a way to express myself, I guess, as well. I had a lot more, um, energy and was much more extroverted I think as a young person as I get older I'm I'm almost just the opposite mm. I'm very uh private and super introverted in fact I need you know I can be I can be out for a while but then I need to duck out sort of charge my batteries so even looking back on it yeah. now I'm like you were always an introvert actually because that's the definition mm-hmm. of an introvert right mm-hmm. yeah and 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 I didn't I I just I just uh, look back at that and I'm like how did I do those how did I do those plays <laughs> how did I get in front of an, an audience like that I'm it's like it's perplexing to me now but I was completely immersed in it completely dedicated towards it and I thought this is it this is my path post high school I'll go study, I'll go study theater. I'll probably pursue a, you know, fine arts degree, become an actor and, and, and that'll be my thing. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really thinking about anything pragmatically. Uh, truthfully, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care. I couldn't, I was never motivated by anything that was practical. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I was just fully like on this trajectory and, and fully committed to it. Um, Weirdly, I was doing design stuff. Like I was making, I was, you know, really liked my arts classes and stuff. And I was making furniture and rearranging your room. Yeah, I was always, yeah, I was always, (laughs) I would be like, you know, I would only be like, my room would only stay one way for a couple months and I'd have to, I'd have to like redo it. And, and, and the whole, our whole house, you know, like, My mom would be, she was single, she was a single mom and she'd be out at, at work and, you know, she'd come home and I'd have like changed all where all the couches are and, and moved everything around. And, and so I, yeah, I guess in retrospect, I'm like, oh, okay, I was trying to sort of scratch that itch. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, Did she like it? Like when she'd come home, she'd be like, oh, this looks good. <laughs> 
I don't rem- I actually don't really I don't really remember a, a clear reaction. I think she just was kind of like just let you do you. She let him <laughs> she let us do whatever. I think that was what what it was a great thing. She kind of always is, was enthusiastic about whatever kind of thing we were pursuing. So which um, is awesome, which is great yeah. to have that supportive parent. Yeah. Oh, it was it's, you know, I really owe her uh a lot of uh credit. In in so many ways, I mean, and <clears throat> she was super supportive, very enthusiastic, and would it you know was always attending all everything, and she had three uh, three boys. We were nuts, just insane, you know, like three three boys with this with a single mom. We had so much energy. We fought like cats and dogs. I tr- my older brother, like my dad and my uncle, my older brother, he's he's six two. He's huge, was a football player. And, uh, you know, and, and, and in high school, I was maybe, you know, whatever, five, seven. I, I probably weighed 130 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> and, um, but we would, we would try to, we would try to murder one another. <laughs> With machetes? <laughs> Not quite. We didn't get our hands on the machetes, but I tried to put his head through the wall and, and, it was like Lord of the Flies there, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so my poor mom somehow remained, uh, you know, nurturing and optimistic and supportive all through all through that. And as we sort of fumbled our way into finding um, our, you know, what what our where our passion uh, was, and 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 years later, my my mother was a uh, she was a. Uh, uh, bookkeeper and 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 and, uh, and a controller, and she did that uh, at her job when we were when we were young, and um, and continued to 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 do that as her career. And and as I was growing the business, you know, she would support me on on getting our bookkeeping set up and and that. And then and then we uh, grew the business enough to for me to be able to hire her. So she came on and ran. Uh, the financial side of the business for ju- just up until last year, actually. Oh my God, that's yeah. amazing to yeah. bring her along. So she was for a huge, yeah. Wow. And not only that, it was not only was it you know nice for me to be able to hire her, um, but I had full confidence and complete uh, faith and trust that that the stewardship on that side of the business, which um, um, any. You know any any kind of uh, you know arts based uh, practice, creative practice, really needs that you know foundational support on the financial side, and so that was a like truly was a real I really lucked out in mm. that. Yeah, um, she must have been so proud of you, like what you built. She must I think be. I think yeah I think she's you know I mean it's it's a it's a cool thing and this kind of work ends up getting a lot of media attention and so it is an easy thing to you know you know be the get the sort of boomer uh uh <laughs> link on facebook and 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 get it out there to all your you know your pals so <laughs> uh, she's certainly uh proud and happy and and it's really easy for that that stuff to get out, That's out so there great, these days though. so yeah does she yeah. have a scrapbook? 
like of all all the articles we we no i don't think she's has a no i don't think she has a hard copy of that thank, <laughs> thank god i think she got with the times pretty early and she she's got it all saved digitally somewhere <laughs> that's yeah. awesome yeah. Uh, and so you moved to toronto mm-hmm. to go to york university mm-hmm. And you did your BA in fine arts. I, I did a ba- BFA, a Bachelor of mm. Fine Arts there. Yeah, I mm-hmm. went. Uh, so, yeah, I was full on like I'm going to be an, an actor. I'm going to study theater. This design stuff was sort of percolating in the background. And I kept doing it as, a, I guess, a kind of serious hobby. But but I was full on in the theater and, and ended up doing a this Bachelor of Fine Arts uh, degree in this program there that uh, is quite um, a kind of prestigious, you know, school where it's, you know, there's like, I don't know, there was like 12 people in my class. <laughs> we would get up and be in the studio from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. And we sort of, uh, we, we were all, you know, eat, breathe, sleep, uh, this kind of training, um, you know, you're reading, you know, whatever, 50 plays a year, you're, you're doing, you know, <laughs> movement, voice, uh, you know, like, you know, combat, stage, stage fighting or combat or <clears throat> dance, every, everything, like the whole nine yards, uh, putting on like all, all these plays. And it was, it was completely uh, immersive. Mm. And um, I think it was, I think it was really healthy for me because I think that was a, a great way to just fully apply yourself to something. And um, again, you know, when you when you have the benefit of hindsight, you're kind of like get to unpack your own, you know, I guess like um, habits and psychology. And, and I know I, I, I'm, I'm a kind of all or nothing sort of person. And so having that fully immersive environment to to just go down this rabbit hole from a you know the the world of of theater studying the whole canon of <clears throat> all that work which is which is amazing and then also like there's a lot of there's a lot of really cool um cultural learning you know there's a we would we would have people from all over the world there that would be doing their masters right and so they would we would be we would work with with them and so you would do you would you would work with with people from you know central and south america or uh africa western europe and and so we were doing all of that as well as like being really deeply into the kind of uh canon of western theater which Mm. which has this whole kind of um and then the the acting training side has this whole kind of uh is sort of it's got some it's got some icons that have you know created these systems for for training or or breaking down um you know um you know plays like in terms of how do you how to un, unpack an, a narrative through line story arc all all that mm. kind of stuff like how to create action and 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 so it's taking like that idea of something that is uh, narrative based, you know, it's like sort of make believe, um, but adding structure and strategy to it. And again, like when I look back on how we do our design practice, all of that work is completely, uh, 
at the sort of root of how we do mm. the design work. And and again, like I, when I first started doing the design work, it was intuitive that I would sort of take that approach because it's what I knew. <clears throat> and, you know, as we sort of evolved and, and sort of grew our methodology in the design world, I was able to be a little bit more uh, technical about sort of creating process and, and methodology to to apply it uh, to the world of, of design. And, and I think that's why our stuff's always been really kind of um, embedded in the world of like narrative or storytelling or, or this idea of kind of world building or um, that kind of thing. And uh, well, there seems yeah. to be a, 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 your approach seems to be with like very art, art and science, I'll call it, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, mm -hmm. the narrative building, you know, that all of that, that story, that's like all the art of it. But then these processes that you mm -hmm. developed, you know, mm -hmm. that's kind of the science of it. Like how, mm -hmm. how do you take, what's the structure in which to, yeah, to sort of sure. execute this? Yeah. And then a lot of the, a lot of just also learning how anybody who's working in the world of art has to depend on their kind of mechanism, like who, who they are. Um, you know, when you're working in dance or theater, you're also really thinking, or, or sports for that matter, you're thinking about the your body as this kind of uh, mechanism that has, you know, uh, ability and impulse and, and, um, and, and needs to be coaxed into a, a world of performance. And um, so that, that applies to the sort of physical nature of, of human beings, but it also applies to the, you know, psychology of people. And, and a big part of what you learn when you're in the theater is, is how do you stay grounded and connected and able to stay, you know, loose so that you're creating intuitively um, while you're under immense amount of pressure in front of a, an audience. Um, and, you know, believe it or not, that applies a great deal to design. It's all deadline driven. Uh, you got to work within these really strict confines of, um, you know, budget or client expectations, uh, you know, a creative brief that we sort of established that is about like hitting this kind of, you know, really ambitious North Star. And so, so the people that really do well um, and what we really encourage is learning how to sort of uh, navigate your own kind of psychology and, and emotions and, and know how to stay uh, fluid and loose when you're trying to find input, creative input. Mm -hmm. And and we're big fans of this notion of, of synthesis, that there's a million things out in the ether and that there's, there's connective tissue there, um, but you have to stay fluid and open to, to finding those things and being surprised. Um, and so that all of that sort of way of working for us has come from my background in the theater and um, and then how I coach designers now is uh, is directly from how I was coached as a as a performer, but uh, it's a it's just for a different kind of outcome. But it's the same it's the same root practice. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I love the idea of that of. Uh, not only creating, but also allowing mm -hmm. it to sort for of sure. come as well, sure. like creating space for that. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, like anyone who's, you know, the reality is anyone who's accomplished any degree of success in a creative field 
knows that that's the that's the effort is to how do you become like a vessel to to allow ideas to come your way and then how do you stay in, engaged in them in a way where you could start to find these 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 connections and and how they and relationships between different you know it could be like you know i always i always use like a place like kisatanto as a as a really cool example of that it doesn't make any sense on paper from a business standpoint you know it's like it was at the time it was the wrong side of uh main street is the second floor um space notoriously difficult to to pull people into those kind of spaces um and on top of that when they came to us and we said uh, okay well tell us a little bit about the food they were like well it's japanese italian and um and if and of course there's no and you know like there's some logical connection that you could kind of make and it's intellectual in a way but but if it's in, if it's intellectualized too much it, it it won't have any emotional impact and so mm-hmm. so the way to get um um a place like that accomplished is to allow like sort of disparate interesting things to flow into the project and then to find ways to tether them uh together and that's you know a material story a color story starts to to be that but layers of uh of the actual narrative on there where you can you know um have a kind of cue that sort of quotes people as they sort of walk in the door and and then and then and and it's a good example of creating a completely transportive um environment uh that i think emotionally is is quite um moving for people um i have just a question about that um just just about uh the origins of maybe the mm-hmm. name is it based on the kisaten um cafes mm-hmm. in japan yeah that like, was is that where one the of name the, comes from yeah that was okay. one of the that was one of the that was one of the drivers for the idea mm. and then i can't remember it was uh, there was also this kind of uh, uh japanese folktale that ended up being one of the uh one of the main sort of cues for the 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 name and the conceptual direction and this notion of a house of plenty mm. um <clears throat> where it's like sorry any any kind you're of, so italian yeah yeah i'm talking with <laughs> my talking hands, to your hands. For, people, for people listening and i'm smashing the microphone with my with my <laughs> expressive hands um <clears throat> you know it was that sort of notion of this this house of of plenty that that came from this this folktale and then and then if the, the the kind of synthesis is since they want to have this kind of uh sorry since they want to have this um italian kind of partnership is is then there's this kind of whole layer of like um italian modernist design that's in there like the geoponti and 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 uh and 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 those kind of folks and so so bringing those two things together was was mm. the kind of uh, effort. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. I get this. I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, Haruki Murakami. Yeah, same. Yeah, I have tons of his books, mm-hmm. and I don't know how I discovered him, but anyways, I I always I always have this this feeling of when 
I read his books and obviously they've been translated from Japanese. Mm -hmm. I always wonder what I'm missing and what's totally. lost in translation. But yeah, he's super into like those jazz cafes and like sure. just, he's got this fantastical element to to yeah. so many of his stories. And yeah, it kind of, it feels like that when I walk into Kisa. Well, there's a really, this is a cool little anecdote. So the, the floor tile is based on an, an artist that would, would take Murakami books like the covers and sort of redraw them in a in a kind of minimal way and so cool. the the tile that's on the on the floor there is is based on those book covers what yeah. oh i'm gonna yeah. have to yeah. look at the floor a little yeah. bit more we yeah. do i think i i don't remember i mean on our old website we think we used to show how we kind of got there or we've talked about it in some magazines or whatever but but it was a it was a thing where we were like what are we what are we going to do with the floor we you know we want it to be like this but we don't want it to be you know like a we didn't want it to be like one of those floors that like you know influencers would take, yeah. take pictures of turns out it's we we didn't succeed it still happens but um but and so we we were you know looking around for ideas and I'm a huge Murakami fan I think he's my one of my favorite if not my favorite um writers and and uh we just found these kind of cool book covers and yeah and so that's that's, that's so great i'm yeah. very excited about yeah. that detail okay yeah. now i know i yeah. know a secret this is yeah. so cool um so uh, let's go back to mm -hmm. um what brought you to vancouver so you were in theater you know you got your bfa and then film acting is what brought you to vancouver yeah i mean like really why well, i came out here i had a i had a close friend that that lived here I had just gone through like a big breakup in Toronto and uh I was maybe 27 I think I was 27 or 28 years old at the time and I was still working in the theater I was mostly working doing plays when I was in Toronto um but I think I needed a little I needed a little getaway <laughs> it was, was having a fairly self-destructive summer at the time and so I think for, you know, my health and well-being, I decided you should get out of Dodge for a little while. And so I came out to Vancouver on a lark. I just came to visit my friend, and uh, I was here. Um, we were living in a his apartment down by English Bay Beach. I was having a, you know, nice summer. I was like, okay, well, I might as well go and see if I could get a, an agent and uh, go to some auditions. So I did that, and I got uh, uh, this this agent, and I started going to these auditions for film and TV here. That's primarily what was happening. I I hadn't really done much of it. I did a few things in in Toronto, um, but not a ton. And I started getting these parts in these like TV shows, like a little guest part here, a little part there. And uh, but I wasn't even planning on on staying. I was just kind of fucking around, <laughs> to be honest with you. But then I started getting these parts, <clears throat> and then I got one sort of substantial part on this sci-fi show called Flash Gordon, and uh, and I remember, you know, I'd never made any money. I hadn't, I hadn't made a penny really as an. I'd made a little bit. Like I'm talking like, you know, like n n less than you would make as a waiter. So I would go, I'd do the do a couple of these TV things, and then I'd be a, a waiter, and then and then eventually, maybe three four months into being here, I got this sort of big part where I'd be one of the main people on the last half of the season of this show. And then if I did well and the thing did well, 
I'd go back the next year as one of the main roles. And I remember getting the part and just being like, you know, it was like one of those moments where I was just elated. I was like, oh my God, I have this like big part. I'm going to make money for the first time. Like, I think like I ended up making like, I made like something, something like 70,000 bucks during the the whole season. I was like, this, I'm rich. I was like, I'm like, I'm like, this is, I, I bought a motorcycle. I, I, I like bought some expensive clothes, you know, whatever I was. Um, anyway. But but that's not the sort of salient part of the story. The salient part of the story is I remember. Remember, I come from doing like, trying to break into the Toronto theater scene, and uh, living and breathing like Chekhov and that kind of thing in Toronto to doing uh, Flash Gordon, which at the time I was excited about, and I'll never forget. I <clears throat> I got the script and I was like, I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna read the script. I'm going to buy a steak dinner. I went to Jules Bistro. Remember that yes, place? Yes, I um, Which I still love. It's a great little spot. And I, I went there and I sat at the bar. I didn't have any friends aside from my one friend. So it was just me. I sat at the bar. I bought an uh, expensive glass of wine. I ordered a steak. <laughs> You're romancing yeah. yourself in the script. Yeah, I was like, I'm just going to read the script. Every my my life is My life is great. And then... I just, re- I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember starting like all elated. And by the end, you know, I'm done my steak, I'm on my third <laughs> glass of wine or whatever. And I'm just kind of in the doldrums because I'm like, and look, there's nothing wrong with the writing for what it is for a sci-fi TV show. It's it's fine. It was good actually for, for that. <clears throat> but I just remember being depressed, being like, okay, this is this thing that I'm, this is successful, um, you know, this kind of like cue of success as an actor, but I'm like, but I'm not, I'm not into this. Like, mm. I'm like, I'm frankly, I'm like, am I going to do that? Like, what am I going to do this for like the next five years beyond this sci-fi TV show? And the writing was, you know, not, it just, it was, it just wasn't like, it wasn't like the, the, the theater stuff. Right. So, so I was kind of disillusioned. Like it, it happened in a split second, like that that over that that dinner, and but then I of course went and did the show, and it was it was it was it was pretty fun. But I'm not I, I never really liked being on the set because uh, I get I get kind of bored, and I I'm you know or I'm you know introverted, so I can't make small talk all day. So I I would just be like I don't know what to do with myself either. I, I'm okay doing the the work but I'm not nuts about being on the set um and so he did that did that show and and as I was doing that show I started to I hadn't I definitely had like this existential kind of not a moment because it lasted a couple months (laughs) (laughs) and I was like oh man did I make a giant mistake by committing my life to this and um and I was really terrified. Yeah, for a while, I was like, "Holy fuck, I am. Uh, I might have, I might have committed my life to the to the wrong thing." And and so that and so somewhere in there, I I was like, I always thought this was my grand plan. I was like, "Okay, I'll do the, I'll get these TV shows, or I'll do theater, and then I'll open this little shop." You know, 
and I would love these, like, there was these great design shops, you know, in Toronto and Montreal and a couple out here. Here, they were, they were more bigger, the ones that were established, but but I'd spent a lot of time in these little design shops. And I was like, yeah, that, that'll be my thing. I'll have this design shop because I love design and I'm always doing that. And then I'll, I'll do the one, like which, whatever one is my real job, who knows, but yeah, but that seems like a funds decent, the other one. Yeah, that seemed like a decent setup to mm. me. But <clears throat> when I had that kind of, you know, little crisis, I was like, I was like, okay, how do I, I might have to, I might have to change something. And, and so the thing that was nice about being in Vancouver for me at the time was I had no, uh, I wasn't really tethered to, you know, community. I had great, I had a lot of great friends in Toronto. I'd go to, I'd be going to an art show or see my friend's band or my friend's plays. Every, I could be doing something every night and I had a massive network of, of great people that I was really close with and, and quite liked. Um, but it's also hard for you to, you know, in a way reinvent yourself under those circumstances. So I think the stars kind of aligned for me. I was kind of just really free-floating I had nothing kind of tethering me to any kind of social agenda. And I had this, you know, healthy fear that I wanted to I wanted to try some things that that I felt capable of doing. And so in that little blip I I really made a commitment to try and unlock how I could could pursue this design stuff. Mm. And uh like I said, I had always been quite, it was always quite a serious hobby. I was always making, I, you know, making things and designing all the places that I lived. I'd done some little jobs where I would help, you know, people with like a, an opening or like that, a little retail shop. I'd help make some fixtures or give design advice and stuff like that. And, and so I was always doing it fairly, it was a little more than, than, you know, like a, a hobby. I was kind of kind of applying myself in in ways all throughout uh, school. And I'd studied all that, you know, all the set design stuff and was always making those kind of things. So so it was always there. Yeah, um, it was almost like you were yeah. you were subconsciously creating another lane yeah. for yourself, even though maybe didn't define it as that. I just then. didn't know where I just didn't have an outlet. Like I didn't have a clear outlet. I didn't have a there was no job you could go to. You know what I mean? There was no, there wasn't even a part-time job you could really do. In fact, I remember being in Toronto and there was a great place called Commute where it was a, an artist or a couple of architects that had opened the spot and they do, they would do cool restaurants and they would make lighting and, and stuff like that. And I was like, well, maybe I could work there, but that's literally the only place that you could mm. have this kind of part-time job. Um <clears throat> And so, yeah, when I was here and and trying to really like figure this thing out, I, I went and, I went and got myself a studio um, here, and it was right on East Hastings, and it was uh, it was you know it was it was nothing pr- pretty. It was kind of this subterranean kind of basement studio off of uh, East Hastings, right at Main Street, um, but it what it's what I could afford, and <clears throat> and it just allowed me to go in there and 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 experiment with stuff and start to like take it seriously. And, um, and then at the time we, uh, had an apartment and I, I convinced Tristan, you know, uh, God bless her to let me just 
<laughs> take it back to the studs and it was like an old heritage place and uh and so i just sort of committed to doing whatever i wanted i just was like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do it i'll figure it out and uh and i did and then what happened was as i was doing that more the the sort of acting side really just became naturally deprioritized i just would get up enthusiastic about doing this other stuff every day and then i'd be like oh if i had like a, an, an audition or whatever i'd be like it was painful i would be like i don't want to do that and so it mm -hmm. became really starkly clear to me that i had to go and do this other thing i was motivated had tons of natural energy from it um it was inspiring and and fun and um and so I was like redoing the apartment. And uh, I mean, I'm talking about like, I built this, <laughs> the staircase, I did all the wiring, I poured the countertops, I put in the floors, I built the closets, I built the whole thing <laughs> uh, from the studs. And, um, you know, art, furniture, everything. And so, and at the time, I was like, okay, well, I'll just... Uh, I, we had all these friends that were in restaurants, you know, and everyone was kind of at that point in their life, maybe similar to me where they're like, okay, well, I'm, I know this business, I'm good at it. Uh, and I'm, I've got this kind of percolating idea. And so I would just start to, um, <laughs> you know, convince them that <laughs> I should be the guy to help them, uh, do these things. And, um, and then the first, people I was able to sort of get on side was, uh, you know, Tannis when, when we worked on, uh, Bao Bay <clears throat> and there was a really great, great contractor there named Ryan Murphitt, who was like a design build kind of guy. And Tannis was there and she has tons of ideas and is like a, got a great eye and had like, you know, years of this idea sort of, uh, socked away um in the back of her in the back of her mind and had collected ephemera over over a long period of time and i was just at this point where i was like i know how to be the kind of catalyst to help you get this this done and i was like and she was like okay but how like do we do it and i was like well why don't you hire me and i'll come in and work with the contractor <clears throat> so that you're paying me to do work meanwhile we'll continue to evolve design ideas and figure things out as, as we go. And um, that's how we sort of did it. It was uh, Ryan, Tennis and I sort of all just like figuring out how to make, you know, Bao Bay. And I had, I had a bunch of experience with that apartment where I was comfortable building things in, you know, not, not properly, you know, like, so, so Ryan, who was the <clears throat> really good contractor, would be like, well, we're going to make the tables. So we would, him and I <laughs> made the tables, we'd make the banquettes. But then I'd be like, well, we, we should do this, you know, big distressed mirror. And Tannis had this idea about, she had this great photo of her dad's band. And so I was like, well, maybe we could turn that into like this big kind of um, stretch kind of poster. And so, and we just would come up with like ideas that were half art installation, half storytelling, half construction, and just sort of, we sort of worked at this whole, this whole design build uh, thing and um goes back to the synergy that you talked about right yeah 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 it's nice yeah. to feel that yeah I was thinking about um you know many of the restaurants that I I love are are spaces that you've designed and I was reflecting on oh, well what 
what is it about all these spaces that I've really, really loved? And I feel like for me, there's always this element of um, surprise and delight, like mm -hmm. on on those lights above the bar and Savio, like they say mm -hmm. Buonanotte or, mm -hmm. you know, the vintage photos that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Now you told me about the Murakami mm -hmm. tile. Mm -hmm. Like it's, a, it's, they're like hidden gems for those mm -hmm. who are observant, mm -hmm. which is really cool. I, I thought of it always like, like cinema, right? Because of my background or, or, or like the theater, but I think cinema is a more sort of appropriate comparison because if you like Kubrick, for instance, right? You could watch those films. I might, and I do, <laughs> you know, you could watch them a hundred times and there's, there's another kind of little cue or a layer or like an inflection of something that 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 shows you like behind the the curtain mm -hmm. that's like a little bit uh um this kind of peek into the kind of sort of subconscious kind of deeper um story there and i and i think like us as as people and this is why we've gravitated to the world of hospitality um or particularly working in the realm of the commercial <clears throat> is because I find it more compelling to be the place where people are maybe away from themselves a little bit, or maybe a different version of themselves or allowing themselves to kind of es escape in some way or access something that's, you know, just a little, more, maybe sometimes it's more like sometimes it's fun or carefree or it's like, you know, I don't like this term, but sexy or, or like a little more, you're like, you, maybe you're, you're, you're dressing up and you're sort of right. And I think that, I think that being able to create these transportive environments that have these kind of um, interesting things that seem intangible, but add to a, a real human connection is we love working in that capacity I, I like I like residential stuff, but truthfully, it's you know for the most part, unless it's a really um, kind of unconventional or or more yeah definitely unconventional space. I think it's better. Other people are better at it mm. in the sense that what are you gonna? You, this is like stuff that you got to look at every day and interface with that same you know, that same cabinet door, that fridge handle, or like how you throw your garbage away or how you sit on the couch and, you know, your bedtime routine. It's all much more about the regular day-to-day -day routine of life. And, and, and you, you know, residential spaces can support that transportive side too. And I think that there's a whole way of, of, of doing those, but, but we're not in the pocket of that. We're in the pocket of transportive environments mm. right and so so that's why all those little things that are just things that i geek out i've geeked out about and i just try to uh create like a a studio culture that that is kind of a magnet for people that are like that too that want to investigate those layers um and have like this kind of they that they feel you know this is what i think is compelling is that you know, I feel like almost everyone's like this is that there's like there's a language or a voice that they have and we only have so many tools to really express that. Right. And so there's it turns out there's some people that have 
a, the best way for them to express that is through like um, creating something in a built environment. And that's what I had for years and years and years. I just didn't have an outlet to to apply it to. And so that's what the studio has been is 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 creating um, is creating that outlet more than anything. And then becoming this kind of connective point between the the people, the creators, and the people on the client side that that want that kind of thing. You know that they want that transportive environment. They want um, to activate space to create something that you know has a language in and of itself that feels evocative and emotionally uh, connected and and all those things, right? So so we're sort of like that that kind of nucleus between those those two things and especially as we grow um it's really that's the main challenge is how do you continue to keep the the kernel of that intact like that's sort of that sort of that sort of the magic of 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 what exists in there is that sort of um that sort of escapade in finding those things and 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 continuing to find the right client base to to, to bring it to, especially as you you increase in scale and geographic sort of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely what we're really fighting to maintain. But we also want to grow because I feel very strongly about, okay, yes, it applies to a, a Savio Volpe, right? Or a little, or a, like a little Latana, a little, you know, neighborhood joint. But it also, maybe more so, applies to this kind of place making notion right of like you know this this neighborhood we're we're in in mount pleasant as we record this and i used to walk all through this this area it's all the industrial area and it it just used to be so thrilling to me to think about what it could be you know because it's it's unconventional it's not going to be just uh sort of you know uh you know, steel and glass high rises. There's infill property here. There's industry that existed here, um, and a, and a lot of that stuff could stay, and it starts to have a, its own language. So, so this kind of thinking belongs to the application of uh, neighborhood. Um, you know, um, obviously, you know, whole cities can can think about this level of in, intuition alignment. Uh, synergy and synthesis of ideas to help activate how people gather, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and you know what's been amazing? Like this is a great example. I was thinking about this last night. Is is COVID forced us out, out onto the onto the the sidewalks, right, or the street side patios? And if we didn't have that kind of uh, propulsion, that kind of force, that, that that like lack of like no choice but to do it. The, the kind of like, you know, puritanical fucking like, you know, grip of of what exists in the in in this city would have never allowed that. Right. And so it's really nice to see that that like having a crack outside of of, of that, that it's it's really has done something nice. And if we can maintain that, it's it's really positive for for this city because it's quite it's quite beautiful to be out outside and like almost you know most of the year right and there's ways to mitigate against the the rain but just getting people onto the street and not keep keeping them all sort of socked into like their 
independent siloed <laughs> little yeah. room side by side. Um, it just brings life. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I thought when you know all the patios were happening over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's life in the mm-hmm. streets now, and and now we know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And it's it would be hard to go back for yeah. citizens to be like, what? I we're think not people have this anymore. You're going to take this away from us. Hundred percent. I think people should be like really vehement about keeping that and and pushing it further because there's very little downside what like less less uh street side parking mm-hmm. yeah yeah I'm, I'm curious you were talking about the language of of neighborhoods mm-hmm. and in your opinion how can we preserve these um really interesting language of certain neighborhoods without letting it get so bland Oh, okay. There's always a couple things that happen. There's there's public and private sector, and I think it's it's the accountability and responsibility <clears throat> of both. And so our job, what we do now, we we don't we don't interface too heavily with the with the public public sector. It's it's not a world that I'm comfortable in. I can't stand how uh, slow things go, and I don't I don't really. I don't really thrive in, in that, but what, what we have a lot of success in is converting, um, you know, clients that happen to own a lot of land and, uh, to thinking in the way that we think about stuff. And that's like, um, you know, just really, really being dogmatic about, uh, context of, of, of a site and, and again, we don't look at it. We don't look at it purely from, you know, the the what what the built environment is. We look at it in terms of historical context. Um, we're and we we give ourselves license to think of things way in way more esoteric ways, right? So it could be like, you know, is something is, you know, kind of odd as like. How does like wind or certain smells move, move through this this area or like you know whatever like there's this strange little kind of you know infill property or artifact that exists and there's like so there's all these weird narrative cues for us and so and then we match that with you know really strong um, trends and insights like when we're talking about larger context projects we have a whole process and methodology to be like, how do we do what we do with a small little restaurant that will feel singular and kind of magical and transportive? How do we apply that to, um, you know, this three building site? And it's got some retail, it's got some office, it's got some residential, it's got some, you know, condo product, and then it's got some rental product. How do we take all those inputs and just, you know, keep the nucleus of how we think of those things, but we've we've turned it into a much more thorough uh, step-by-step process to unlock uh, potential, acknowledge real challenges so that we're not just like getting blindsided by things. But really at the end of the the project, what we want to deliver is is something that's really strongly within its context that that works to activate can and should happen in that one place and not like a paint by numbers version that should be 
that they could just happen over and over and over again. Again, that's that's not what we do. And if you mm-hmm. want that, <clears throat> there's lots of other people that'll give it to you. So the whole thing that we sort of try to hold true to is here's what we do. Here's who we are. Here's how we do it. And we have to follow this process and methodology to get there. And if this is what you want, then we're the people for you. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then let's not waste each other's time because we're we're pushing in the opposite direction. But we think of those things just like we would um, the small thing. We just have learned some different ways to to get there, some new tools and stuff mm. like that. I have a question about people interacting with with a space. And I'm wondering when you first started your career and uh, now – um, do people want different things from spaces now than they did then, or generally yeah. have people always wanted the same kind of feeling and and experience from a space? Well, I mean, when I first started in in this city, I think we were lucky because I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I wanted to. I had like this whole notion that these experiences can be richer and more immersive and all that that stuff. And we were very quickly able to find like-minded people and and do those things. So I think, and specifically in the world of F and B, um, so food and beverage for sure. And I don't think that it, that has changed. I think what's happened though is we would have been a little bit more um, on the positioning, like a little more in the kind of narrow niche kind of lane um, before. Because um, you just need it to be clear as a bell in a way. Um, whereas now, I think that there's, I think people's brains are changing, right? Like, because of, you know, like, if you just think of what a, a meme is, for instance, mm-hmm. it's, there's like meaning that is created through this kind of interesting juxtaposition. So I think people are developing a new language and being a little bit more, uh, they're able to, to synthesize and connect the dots between more disparate things um, faster. And so in a way, I think you don't need to be as like on theme. For instance, you could be a little bit more kind of eclectic. You could be more reverent. You can have references that don't necessarily line up, uh, you know, in an obvious way. And you allow people to sort of make some connections. You could have more of a sense of humor baked into how you do things and yeah i think you could take more 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 risk um in in that way and just yeah, just be a little less kind of um you know n- n- like cl- clear and distinct about your kind of your offer um so i think that that applies for sure to uh food and beverage which is usually like i find the leading edge because it's got to it's got to keep people on their toes right Mm -hmm. there's it's always turning over it's about like attracting you know interest and there's so so it goes it goes quicker in that way the other one that's really interesting is obviously office space um and you wouldn't have you would have said you know four years ago we were doing this we're like we want to bring a layer of hospitality to office space we want to start to break down the silos of how those things are are working. We also want to, you know, talk about adding more sort of um, sense of privacy rather than this whole open office thing that seems to have been like a kind of failed experiment. So we've had like um, strategy 
that we thought was wise there. But again, nothing is better than um, this kind of forced acceleration of, of ideas where what probably would have been this sort of drip fed thing is now overnight a stark change. And that's, in, in our opinion, it's the way it should have been in the first place, but it was like pulling teeth to get people there because mm. nothing changes that quickly. So, um, you know, this crisis is, for better or worse, a massive catalyst for change. And so in the office sector, it, you know, it's completely being reinvented. Completely. Yeah. I actually just did a tour of the Best Buy new corporate headquarters, which mm -hmm. is not too far away from here. And it is so interesting. It's just, it's a co-working space exactly. now. And all of the desks are plain. And there's a little, um, you can use an, all the employees can use an app mm -hmm. to book a desk mm -hmm. um, anywhere. Mm -hmm. But nobody has a mm -hmm. desk. For sure. Yeah. And just kind of can dock in. And mm -hmm. again, it's like there's a lot of technical, we're going through this now as we move offices. And it's exactly what we want. Um, but it ends up being like there's some really crazy implications there in terms of <laughs> cost and, you know, just like additional hardware security blah 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 so it's that's a fun one i'm i'm really enjoying oh i'm really enjoying office um the other thing that's interesting is like uh the off there's the office itself but even if you take like um you know like say like like large corporate downtown buildings they'll have uh their lobby spaces right and so that's a big exercise for us now too is like working with some folks to start to reposition some of those spaces because I love downtown. I love downtowns in cities. I love like uh, urban centers that have uh, density and, and as much density as possible. I think it's economically, um, it's a true, it's a true engine for, for us culturally. It, it has so many benefits in my opinion. So it's disconcerting to see downtowns feeling like, that sort of pain of like losing um, people. So I think it'll, I think it'll like, I think it's got to change and I think it will, it's changing now, but I think that's something that's happening, which is really interesting is trying to be like, how do we make these places compelling for people to be mm -hmm. and socialize and, you know, that kind of thing rather than being like, well, I'd rather just stay home. Right. Which is kind of like, fine right it's fine as like part part of the equation but it's really kind of awful if it's if that's kind of like the end result well you kind of lose that connectivity and mm -hmm. that, that energy when people just want to stay home so yeah. how do you make something compelling enough for people just like yeah like you said just want to hang out for a little bit yeah maybe just spend part of the day there but still bring their their energy and for their sure. personality for sure into space. that's what makes a city yeah exactly mm -hmm. and i think our thing is we're trying to think of it as this notion of of magnetism like we're trying to create mm. pull rather than push right like there's this notion that and it's happening and it'll happen in in the corporate environment whether we like it or not because there's um financial implications but we're <clears throat> where people are trying to push staff staff back to the office and um, 
whatever that's their prerogative but our opinion is what's what's the pull what's the what's the magnet that's going to attract people back to those spaces Mm -hmm. and so that's our business right is 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 creating things where people feel they want to participate in something Mm -hmm. so because I feel like the pull is there like you know if I talk to friends who have to go into an office they're like you know I do miss being around Mm -hmm. people so like they're on the edge of wanting to go back but you know what does that look like yeah yeah what does the nudge look like Mm -hmm. yeah I read somewhere that um one of the cornerstones of your business that comes from a song lyric is um head in the sky feet on the ground and I was (laughs) I was wondering where that lyric comes from that's from um this must be the place by the talking heads okay I mean I I'd sing it but then (laughs) everyone's ears would start to bleed uh yeah, so that's that song. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, um, <laughs> there's all these, like, <laughs> I like some of these song lyrics because they get to what we're trying to do. And um, in a way, the other one we like, <laughs> and I've always wanted to get, like, a T-shirt made. It's from the, uh, it's a pavement song. Mm. And the quote is, harness your hopes. Mm. I've always liked that. But the he- um but but the talking heads one sorry is is just the notion that you know we you got to be in you've got to be you have to have your head in the sky you have to be thinking um without 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 that tether to reality mm. part of doing anything compelling is allowing yourself to be lost to wander um now of course in our world, we have to interface with the um, commerce, you know? And so how do we then ensure that not only are we able to sort of, you know, create these kind of dreamscapes, but then how do we tether them to what's going to move the needle from a financial standpoint? And Because, like, look, Nothing matters if you go in and open the coolest, take a cafe as an example. It's the coolest cafe. It's like every design magazine wants to have a picture of it. Uh, you know, whatever. It's cool, beautiful, but it doesn't track across financially. It's not going to stick around and it's not going to, it's not going to impact its, its neighborhood. It's not going to be a catalyst for, um, you know, social or cultural engagement, it'll just sort of um, trickle away. And and that's not how um, places evolve to be, like, really rich, mm. you know? Um, so, so we have that, we feel like that's the discipline that we need to engage in. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think it's also, you know, like... Um, you know, candidly, we're we're thinking working on this new restaurant with me and my partner, Paul, and I got some numbers back <clears throat> the other day. It's a tough time to be doing uh, anything in the world of construction right now, mm-hmm. and and uh, they sort of take the wind out of your sails. But then what happens is it also forces you to start thinking, recontextualizing things thinking of things differently, finding new solutions, um, and being, so that, that notion of pragmatism, that notion of sort of having your, of having to, you know, 
move through obstacles and have your back against the wall is a real creative driver. So I'm more excited about this project now in the last like three, four days than I've been for like, you know, six, six, eight weeks because I got this terrible <laughs> news <laughs> in a way uh, that really it was, it's completely unpleasant. You're, you know, you're like, hey, hey, what about, how about if you're a million dollars over budget or something like that? And it's just completely deflating. But then there's all of these solutions that you start to come up with. And I've had like, I've had three or four ideas that I'm super excited about. And I wouldn't have had any of them if that didn't happen. So I think it's really interesting to, to get comfortable in that world of discomfort, in that world of like, you know, real metrics, you know, mm -hmm. you know, like delivering on um, performance. I think it's, I think it's actually quite good creatively. And I, I mean, again, like if you go back to this analogy of, of the theater, I like to, I like this notion that there's an opening night. I like this notion that there's, it's either going to be a hit or it's not going to be a hit. The market will ultimately decide and we're beholden to the market. I would rather have a place that um, is around 10 years later, 15 years later, that things have developed around it, that there's like, you know what I mean? Rather than something that uh, is on the cover of a magazine or wins a design award, um, but doesn't have an impact in, in the market it, it exists in. And, and it's not, and, and I don't know if that's bad for, you know, I don't know if that's bad for our business as a design studio. Like, there's there's an argument to be made that we should want to sort of play that presentational game more. But for mm. me, the metric of success is always, is the business thriving? Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, is there longevity to, mm -hmm. to what you created? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, in our pre-chat, we were talking about um, just the balance between um, giving yourself rest and like going and going mm -hmm. and going. And you were saying that, yeah, you've been thinking a lot lately about, yeah, how do I just like dial things back to conserve my energy? And I'd love mm -hmm. to kind of explore that a little bit more. Like mm -hmm. what got you thinking around that? Was there a moment where you were like, I'm burnt out. I need to rethink this. Um, no, not really. I mean, I've, ne I've never, you know, the, the, I think part, I, I don't, I don't register like burnout. I for I just can I just think of it as I just don't. I just am like, I think I have a lot of resiliency in in that regard. I I think my body would <laughs> disagree with me, right? I would uh, and I would hazard that um, that uh, it wouldn't be healthy physically. Um, and from time to time, I get a little bit like, you know, the wind gets out of my sails or I get bummed out about, you know, like, hey, like all that work and, and, and uh, you know, we didn't get a result, a result we want or, or, you know, we're not, things aren't, aren't, aren't changing fast enough for the, for the business or whatever. Um, but then I always like wake up the next day and I'm like, I have, I'm very determined and, and I fa have fun doing it. Mm -hmm. Um so two things kind of, kind of, you know, 
dawned on me is like that's that could be me but not necessarily anybody else and i've got like a 40 person organization and um and uh so we have to create checks and balances in there and it's extremely hard and it's something that we work tirelessly to do um and are always trying to you know change and and improve and mainly because you know the truth of it is from my own personal standpoint and for the from the standpoint of the studio <clears throat> is the is that i want the longevity as i want great people to um stick around <laughs> i mm-hmm. want them to be i want them to know when when uh they're if you're pushing yourself it's 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 actually like uh doing more harm than good mm. um and i also know that there's like you gotta you gotta sort of go back to the well from time to time um and so i think that i think that you know that no, that notion from a you know culture building standpoint in our organization is is you know and and obviously that's like you know anyone who's not doing that these days is like living in the dark ages you know so um and so we challenge ourselves a lot to continually improve on that and but as you're growing very very quick um it's extremely challenging because the solution that you have today doesn't apply you know two months from now Mm -hmm. um um so that is like you know arguably it's one of our biggest challenges in the organization is is um finding you know process and methods and 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 metrics and 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 communication tools to 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 do that to be like uh a balanced um workplace well at the same time being like we're striving for excellence right and and so a lot of that too we think is is a lot of it is communicating that 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 there's a there's an agenda here and then says we want the excellence right we want we want and and more often than not we get people that come in and they're completely driven to to succeed to a fault and so um we have to get then go and find ways to create tools to help help them pull back, you know, um, reshuffle resources, all this stuff. It's kind of a you know that's for a different podcast maybe the, the yeah, HR a, <laughs> the HR podcast. It's definitely a chess game, I'm <clears throat> yeah, sure. It really is. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then personally for me, I just got really, um, you know, I'm probably like you know I'm midlife, I guess, or 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 not, or, or I started to think of this notion of like um health and well-being and longevity and um and and um like use of your (laughs) your your body and your brain uh long into your life so that even if you're you know whatever say I was the midpoint of my life I would be completely fine with that if I got to participate to this degree for the another half of my my life now the thing that i find really disconcerting is if you start to like lose your you know faculties to to a degree as you as you sort of age and um and you know there's nothing there's and you know what like honestly like the reason i think that way is because i'm like i want to do these things (laughs) right i don't 
Yeah. Honestly, if I was like, I, if I had like all these things that I want to do and I was just like somebody wheeled my brain around in a jar <laughs> and I got to do those things, I might not, <laughs> yeah, I might not mind. Um, but, but again, just pragmatically, I'm, I'm super mindful of that stuff these days because um, there's so many things I want to try and do and explore, so. Yeah, and things yeah. do happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. even me, I, I lately I've been like, oh, my memory's not the way mm-hmm. it used to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's just a that's just a thing. It, yeah, it's it alarming. It's... I, I suspect, though, that here, well, mm-hmm. what I choose to believe right now yeah. is that we're sort of on this cusp of, like, these, like, big breakthroughs in this world. Um you know, of like human human longevity, like, like longevity. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know, health and wellness, and like you know, a body body maintenance and all that stuff. So, I, I'm sort of of the opinion now where I'm like, okay, I got this little window where I should really try to optimize and um, be really engaged in this, uh, so I could stick around for these big pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah, all this biohacking your body mm-hmm. and all of these things. Yeah. I yeah. used to have this creative writing teacher in school and he had, he had um that was his his thing. He would talk about like in the integration of technology and and uh you know the body. Organism. Yeah. yeah. Like, He's a futurist. He was a futurist and mm-hmm. uh yeah, it was really interesting. It seemed wha- like completely wacky in the nineties. Um you know, it was like cyborg kind of stuff, but now it seems like a oh, that's, reality. Like, that's gonna happen next oh, year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was saying to a friend the other day, I'm like, you know, all of those post apocalyptic movies, all of these sci fi writers from way back in the day, they're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I was saying to her and she mm-hmm. was like, Yeah. 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 They were right. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we don't get the, you know, sinister AI version that yeah or this doesn't turn into Mad Max Fury Road yeah which I mean that I love suck. that movie but I wouldn't want to that'd live be a it. rough world to yeah, live in exactly <laughs> well I just have a few more questions sure. I know that you're a, a busy guy um when you think about all of the things that you get to do now and you know way back in the day where you're like I don't I don't have a lane for this like I don't know how to apply mm-hmm. all of this like when you look back at that and reflect on it, like how does that make you feel that you get to do this now? Yeah, I mean, I definitely like you know, I'm I'm pretty grateful. I I definitely wake up every day being like pretty excited and grateful. Um, conversely, I've like I've had to really grind it out, and we've had some like crazy times where. You know, it wasn't always a sort of fait accompli that this was going to materialize. We had to get to the other side of some some pretty, you know, intense uh, times and uh, and sort of s- survive it. So I think, like, weirdly, I'm like, um, um, if I was, like, 18 and I was, like, seeing what I'm doing now, I would be, I wouldn't really believe it. I would be like, how in the world? I was always thought like I was like, you don't, you can't run a business, you idiot. <laughs> you don't even know how to like, you can't even like 
file your taxes or, you know, I was, I was never a math person. I was, so I never would have thought um, that the world of being an entrepreneur was for me. And I think arguably more than anything that uh, that's what I sort of become. And I think that for me is where, what is most exciting because it means that there's still like all these different avenues to explore because a because a business outcome is just an idea that you want to make manifest. Um, and if you have a, you know, a bit of grit and determination and, and you're, and you're, you know how to, you know, pay attention to the, the upside and the downside in equal measures, you can make some pretty remarkable things come to life. Um, and I've become like, I'm, you know, I'll always been somewhat motivated by um, growing things financially, but at the same time, I'm I'm only as a kind of byproduct of doing something that's compelling. So I think for me, that's the that's the biggest uh, blessing is is that I feel like pretty capable of of being intrepid and doing pursuing cool things that I that I'm excited by. Uh, from a business standpoint, I think the on the flip side <clears throat> is I'm sort of awakening to this side of my, you know, being, so to speak, that probably would have been a little more uh, <clears throat> alert when I was younger as, a, you know, going into these kind of like optimistic kind of career paths where it was all about, you know, you know, exploring your, your, the mind body connection, the, all that kind of stuff. Like, and so I think that's, an, that's sort of like, that's been a bit dormant while I've been head down building mm. a few of these businesses for, for many years. And I think that now being on the other side and having some success has allowed me, you know, it certainly opened up some space for that, that kind of exploration. And I'm sort of just moving into that, which is also kind of, fun that's exciting yeah 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 that mind-body connection I mean that's how I feel like that's how we stay evolving and that's mm -hmm. how we stay healthy yeah so that's yeah. exciting I yeah. feel I feel like uh I feel like we should have a part two where we just talk about <laughs> random things because I think it'd be a really <laughs> interesting exploration for sure for astral projection exactly. mind body I was, connection I was gonna say for for whoever's listening and we had a phone call um, before the this interview, and we talked mostly about <laughs> existing on the astral plane, yeah. where somebody could have a dream, and you know, I think you went either you went to visit your friend in 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 the dream yes, or vice I did. versa. Yeah, right. yeah. Those are. I mean, hey guys, it happens. If you allow it to, it will happen. <laughs> well, funny. my final question that I ask everyone: um, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Hmm. Okay, that's a good one. I think we're I think it the 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 best outcome would be that we've sort of seeded uh a number of of places that continue to sort of grow and evolve and become kind of part of the fabric of the cities that we work in. And um I think there's something 
thrilling about the notion of if my daughter could, when she's my age, bring her 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 kids or her family or her friends to um, some of the spots that that we've done and and that they've kind of like had this sort of embedded ethos that's continued to kind of grow and develop over the years, but have become those kind of staples in a in a city and and act as like a kind of catalyst for for like-minded folks or like, you know, somebody who's like, who's like me as a young person or the, the interesting, cool people that I encounter through the design studio or the restaurants that, that they could act as a kind of inspiration for them to, you know, to try something unique and different and contribute to, to especially Vancouver, which I feel is, it's just like this it's just like this little pocket of untapped potential slightly tapped right <laughs> but so much more mm. there's just so much more in front um for this city than 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 looking in the rearview mirror mm. um so i find that really compelling yeah no i mean i i agree with that and uh I look forward to continuing to watch what you do <laughs> and hopefully we'll have a, a part two. I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah. And, uh, I that enjoyed was awesome. our pre-chat too on the phone. And so hopefully here's to more of these. Yeah. Well, we'll get a couple of, there's a couple of places on the horizon that I'm excited about. And so if we can get those done. Then we can come back and, and talk about, uh, about that and, and maybe more. some other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you. It's fun. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jay Bagaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon. <laughs>